Well, on the fifth Sunday, we come together to the Lord's table, and that's always an exciting time for me. I, I love it when we take time out again to remember the death of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Jesus said that when we do this, we're reminding ourselves of his death until he comes. There's also something special about the body of Christ coming together at the table of the Lord and that unity and that fellowship. So we're going to do that today. Uh, we've been for the last um, several, last couple of weeks, I guess, trying to take communion every day at our house. Uh, sometimes we get so busy and, and uh, go in different directions that we don't get it done. But, but we try to remember um, to just come together, Faye and myself and Brad, and just believe God uh, and, and commemorate the death of our Lord Jesus. And it's such a special time when we do that. And uh, the, other, the other night I was reading the passage that I almost always read when I receive communion, and that's from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And uh, I read it, I, I wanted just kind of a different version, and I, and I read it from the message. And Faith said to me, you know, she said, I, I wish you'd do that at church. I, I like that. And so I'm going to read this morning from the Message Bible. This is a paraphrase, obviously. But beginning at verse 23 and all the way through verse 33. Remember, Paul is speaking here to the Corinthian church. And he's speaking to these, the, the fellowship of believers there. And this is what he said, beginning at verse 23. Let me go over with you again exactly what goes on in the Lord's Supper and why it's so centrally important. I received my instruction from the Master himself and passed them on to you. The Master, Jesus, on the night of his betrayal took bread. Having given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body broken for you. Do this to remember me. After supper, he did the same thing with the cup. This cup is my blood, my new covenant with you. Each time you drink this cup, remember me. What you most, most solemnly realize is that every time you eat this bread and every time you drink this cup, you reenact in your own words and actions the death of the master. You will be drawn back to this meal again and again until the master returns. You must never let familiarity breed contempt. Anyone who eats the bread or drinks the cup for the master irreverently is like part of that crowd that jeered and spit on him at his death. Is that the kind of remembrance you want to be part of? Examine your motives. Test your heart. Come to this meal in holy awe. If you give no thought, or worse, don't care about the broken body of the master. When you eat and drink, you're running the risk of serious consequences. That's why so many of you even now are listless and sick and others having gone to an early grave. If we get this straight now, we won't have to be straightened out later on. Better to be confronted by the master now than to face a fiery confrontation later. So, my friends, when you come together to the Lord's table, be reverent and courteous with one another. 
If you're so hungry that you can't wait to be served, go home and get a sandwich. But by no means risk turning this meal into an eating and drinking binge or a family squabble. It's a spiritual meal. It's a love feast. A love feast. I love that last little phrase. It brings out, it brings back so many wonderful memories to me. If you allow me to just kind of stroll down memory lane for a moment. I grew up and went, was born and raised, in fact, in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Winston-Salem is a twin city. It hasn't always been one city. For many years, there was Winston and there was Salem. There were two different cities. They were obviously tobacco towns because both of them have cigarettes named after them. At one time, it was cigarette capital of the world. Um, and back before we had any air pollution um, restrictions, you could smell Winston-Salem about 30 miles out. You could smell the nicotine when you got close. I told people when I left home, I was addicted and never smoked. I don't, <laughs> it's not really true, but, uh, but Salem was settled originally way back by the Moravians. Anybody ever heard of Moravians? A few of you, very few. Moravians are um, a group of people that came from, uh, from Europe to America and settled. And the main reason they came here was for re- religious freedom, religious purposes. They were very devout people. In fact, when you, when you go in Winston-Salem, if you go over to the, what we call Old Salem, the old section of town, it, you, you see all kind of uh, things that remind you of the Moravian days and our past history. In fact, they have a museum there. You can go in and, and the ladies are all dressed like they did back in the 1700s. And you can watch them make candles like they did by hand in the old days. And you can watch them cook and everything like they did back in the 1700s. And the food is wonderful. My mother had a sister who was a, became a Moravian. That was her church. And there's a lot of Moravian churches in Winston-Salem. Um, And I used to love to go to what they call love feast. Um, And I'd I'd love to go with her because there was such communion and such good fellowship and then such good food. (laughs) Those Moravian ladies. And and they used to make, Faye used to love to go up there on Christmas when my mother and dad were still living because we'd always get those little ginger snaps, they called them. They were ginger cookies that, and it were so thin, almost paper thin, but tasty, I'm telling you, just wonderful. And we, we'd go to these love feasts and, and they would have communion and celebrate the death and the burial and resurrection of Jesus and and, and then they would have a time of just fellowshipping together um, and loving on one another in the body of Christ. And I, I love that idea that what we're doing this morning is a love feast. We're coming together at the table of the Lord to tell the Lord how thankful we are because his love not only saved us from, an, from eternal destruction and gave us eternal life, but it also made us a family in the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? How many of you are grateful for the family of God? Amen. I've, yeah, give him praise for that. I've, I've had people tell me that their church family 
was actually closer to them in many ways than their own flesh and blood. Maybe it's because of the distance apart or any number of other things of the dynamics of a family. But your church family can literally become that way because we are one in Jesus Christ. We are truly brothers and sisters in the Lord. That's not just a phrase. That's not some more of uh, Christianese, as I mentioned a while ago. That's a true fact. And, and it's the, the gift of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that makes it that way. I was reading a little story early this morning about a man that uh, was correcting his son. This happened many years ago. And he, he was aggravated with his son, so he overcorrected. Um, I'm sure none of you all have ever done that, but, um, um, but he did. He just overcorrected. In fact, he told his son, he said, if you disobey me one more time today, you're going to spend the night in the attic tonight. And not only that, you're not going to get any supper. All you're going to get is bread and water, and you'll sleep in the attic. Well, and his son straightened up and did real good for a little while, and then he forgot. And then he disobeyed again. And, and, and the dad realized that in his anger, he had overdone it. And he, he said to his wife, what am I going to do? I, 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 I can't go through with that. And his wife, being a very wise woman, she said, well, you, you, you better go through with it. You told him that that's what you were going to do. And if you don't go through with it, your word won't mean anything. And you're running a risk of more problems later. Than, than you are if you go through with it. But you'll just have to figure out something else. And so he thought about it for a little while, and finally he came up with this. The little boy came to, to the table for supper, and he gave him a piece of bread and a glass of water, and he said, take that to the attic. You'll be spending the night in the attic tonight, just like I told you, because you disobeyed me again. And so the little boy went off crying to the attic with his glass of water and his little piece of bread. What he didn't realize was that in a few minutes, his dad also came to the attic. And dad had a glass of water and a piece of bread. And he sat down in the attic with his son and talked to him about the importance of obeying. And he told him, said, I'm not going to leave you here by yourself. I'm going to stay with you. And they both slept on the hard floor of the attic that night. But that little boy's pillow was his daddy's arm. And... Uh, and, and, he, and he taught him a valuable lesson, but at the same time, he came to where he was. Let me tell you a story much greater than that. Our Heavenly Father saw us in our sin and saw us in the judgment that we were due and saw us in the punishment that had already been declared for the sins that we had committed. But he loved us so much that he wouldn't send us to the attic alone. He sent his only begotten son from the jewel deck throne of glory to come down to this earth and go with us. But he did better than that. He didn't just take our punishment with us. He took our punishment for us. He, yes, amen. 
When he went to the cross, he took your sins and he took my sins in his own body on the cross and nailed it all. It was all nailed to him on the cross. So the death that he died, I deserve to die, but I don't have to die. Because when he took my sin upon his body, he in turn gave me his righteousness so I could stand before God clean and free from the judgment that was due sin. Oh, praise God. And that's what we're remembering this morning when we come to the Lord's table. We're remembering that our Lord Jesus loved us so much that he took in his body our sins. I want to tell you, folks, this is the greatest love story there is in the whole world. This, 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 you, you just can't come up with anything better than that. So we're going to come to the table in a few minutes and commemorate that by receiving the elements of communion. Before we do, let me do what I do so many times on the fifth Sunday when we come together for communion. I want to just go over again those seven wounds from whence our Lord Jesus shed his blood and what that does for us. Let's look, first of all, we know that Jesus bled from his hands because he was nailed to the cross. By the way, crucifixion was instituted by the Phoenicians. They used to take people out for capital punishment out in the woods and hang them on a tree. When the Romans conquered the world or that part of the world, they, um, they saw that and they improvised on it and made it infinitely worse in its pain and so forth. And, and so they would, they would nail something spikes through the hands. And so Jesus bled from his hands. But I want to tell you this morning that the blood that was spilled from his hand purchased forgiveness for you and me for all the things that our hands had done that displeased our heavenly father. Everything that your hands have ever touched that was disobedient to God, everything that your hands have ever done in anger or whatever that displeased God, there's forgiveness for that through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then they, they put nails through his feet. They nailed his feet to the cross. Now, the Romans bent the, the legs. They didn't stretch them out. They bent them and drove those nails through. And, and here's the reason for that. Because when you're hanging on a cross, as your life begins to ebb out of you, and you become weak, your body begins to slump. And as your body begins to slump, you get so far down and your lungs lock and you can't breathe. And so you have to, the only way you can breathe is to push yourself back up on, on that cross so you can get a breath. Jesus did that for hours. And one of the horrible things about crucifixion and they, they would have to, by, you know, by the hour, they'd slump down and couldn't breathe. And then they'd have to, with all the strength they had, push themselves up enough to get another breath. It was, it was a horrible, agonizing death that they went through. But the blood that was shed from the feet of Jesus purchased forgiveness for every place that we've ever gone that displeased our Heavenly Father. Aren't you glad that the, the old paths that you took, that the Lord forgave you for that and, and that they're, they're gone? Amen? Yes. Praise God. He forgives us for that. And then thirdly, and, and this is one I always get, <laughs> I get sidetracked here and just uh, kind of camp out. 
when I think about the blood that was shed from his head. You remember in Pilate's judgment hall when they, they made that mock trial out of Jesus, they brought a robe and put on him and the soldiers mockingly making fun of him said, hail king of the Jews. And, and then they would, they blindfolded him and then they walked by and slap him. And many of them would hit him with his fist. They pummeled him. And, and in fact, the historians say that they beat the body of Jesus about the head so much that it began to swell until it became probably twice its normal size. That, that's why the old prophets said that, that his visage was marred more than any man. If you had not known that that was Jesus on the cross and you had walked by and looked up at him, he would not have been recognizable to you from that terrible beating that he took in Pilate's judgment hall. And then I know this wasn't the most painful thing, but to me it was the most disgusting thing that they did to Jesus. Those soldiers, after they'd hit him with their fist and pounded him and slapped him about the head and beat him and cursed him, then they walked by one after the other and just spit right in his face until spittle is, is running down his face. It's the, the, the disgrace and the... the the humiliation that they put Jesus through. And, and then they had the weaver to weave a crown of thorns. And those thorns were long, and they, they put it on his head. And then they took sticks and began to beat it until the, those thorns went through his skin and hit the scalp and came back out. It's almost like they sewed it to his skull. And, and they, they beat on that, and blood began to run from his head. But listen, the blood that was shed from his head purchased forgiveness for every evil thought that I've ever had. Aren't you glad that the blood of Jesus can cleanse your mind? Scientific research tells us that, that when you meditate on certain things long enough, that it, it literally creates a groove in your brain and that's why the enemy, and, and it's a plague of our society today, and, and, and that's pornography. And, and he draws people into it. I started to say he draws men into it. It used to, to be more just men, but unfortunately today we're counseling with women that are, that are caught in a web of pornography as well. But it, he draws you into it with your, your senses of your sight, and you watch that over and over until it, it digs that groove in your brain, and, and your thought process will cycle again and again and again, and you'll have victory for a little while, but your thought pattern will come back to that and get stuck there, and those images will come back to you and, and come back to your mind. I know that's a scientific fact, and I, I, I know that's true. But I also know something else this morning, folks. I know that the blood has never lost its power. And I know that the blood of Jesus Christ is more powerful than the grooves in your brain. And the same blood that can wash away your sins can wash away those images of your past. And, and the same power that can heal bodies of strokes and cancer and other things can heal that place in your brain and set you free and start you over like a brand new creature in Christ Jesus. Amen. Yes. The blood of Jesus. 
Love that song that Andre Crouch wrote years ago, the blood will never lose its power. The blood will never lose its power. Sometimes when we're having our, our encounters, I'll, if I'm dealing with a man that's, that's got a problem in this area, I'll have them to put their hands over their eyes, and I'll say, repeat after me, and I'll pray this prayer with them. Of, oh, Lord, I believe that the blood of Jesus is more powerful than what I've seen, and I ask you to take the blood of Jesus and wash my eyes and clear me of everything that I've seen that I shouldn't have seen, and let the blood of Jesus go through those opportunities nerves all the way back to my brain where they registered it in, in, the, in my memory bank and wash it out of my memory bank just like you washed my sins away so they won't be remembered anymore. And let that blood go all the way from my brain into the very resources, recesses of my soul and my spirit and make me clean. David said, cleanse me and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. That's what the blood of Jesus can do. And there's a second part of that too. If you'll remember going all the way back to Genesis when man sinned, first sin came into the world. Part of the curse that came on the human race was that man would make his living by the sweat of his brow. In other words, man's labor was cursed. In fact, part of that curse says the earth will be resistant to you. It'll bring forth thorns and thistles when you're trying to plant a garden. You're going to have to fight all of that. It's part of the curse. Part of the curse was on your labor. Part of the curse was on your career. Part of the curse was on your job. And I tell folks, when you come to the table of the Lord, if you'll come in faith believing that the forgiveness is there, the blood that Jesus shed from his brow can take that curse away. We're delivered from the curse by the blood of Jesus. Amen? He set us free from the curse. You can claim that over your job. You can claim that over your vocation. Praise the Lord. <laughs> yes, give him praise. You can just see God do all kind of marvelous things. I, I, our good brother's with us for a few more weeks, and then spring training will be coming along before long. And they, you remember one Sunday we had him to come up here, and we prayed for him that the Lord would open. A, he was coaching in a um, baseball. He, he used to be a pitcher, and he threw his arm out and went into coaching. He was coaching in another league, and and uh, he really wanted to get into the majors. And we prayed for him right here on this platform. Said, Lord, we want you to open a door in a major league team. By the way, he's with the Baltimore Orioles now. Is that right, Baltimore Orioles? Um, there's not much to pray for in Baltimore, but you can pray for the Orioles. Amen. <laughs> pray, pray for the Orioles. They, Baltimore needs something to, to help them. And, and, and so pray that God will bless the Orioles. But, but, it, but he's, not, he's not just coaching those young athletes on how to pitch a baseball. He's coaching them how to build character in their life and how to follow Jesus. And, and God's using him as a light in a dark place. And, and just I, we just pray, God can bless your vocation. I've had people to come to the Lord's table, take this seriously, and come and, and didn't have a job and say, Lord, I believe you as I take the elements this morning. I'm claiming the blood of Jesus to, to set me free from the curse that's been holding me back on my job. And they get a job the very next week. I've had that to happen over and over. I've seen people promoted. 
I've seen God do things in their workforce where they'd say that, <laughs> that boss that's been tormenting me, God got to dealing with his heart. God's able to do that. Come by faith to the, he bled from his head. Now, let, 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 let me say this now. Don't just come this morning and take the elements and believe God to do something on your job and then go in your job in the morning with the same old attitude that you've had in the past. Amen. If you're going to stand on the Word of God, you've got to stand on it. Not just every fifth Sunday, you've got to stand on it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And you understand what I'm saying? You know, there's some people that get up in the morning and say, praise the Lord. Good morning, Lord. And there's other people get up and say, good Lord morning. You know, uh, you've you got to get your attitude right about this thing. You, you need to go into your job. You need to get there a few minutes early. And I, I know that might be a foreign concept for some people, but you need to get there a little early and just, just you need to go the second mile. Jesus talked about second mile living. You need to give it all you got. And, and that boss that's been aggravating the, uh, the, you, you and uh, you, you've been saying all kind of bad things about it, you need to bless him. Say, in the name of Jesus, I bless you. You say, preacher, you don't know how he's acting towards me. It makes no difference how he's acting towards you. It's how you're acting towards them that opens the door for God to be able to move in and intervene in your situation. So start blessing those people that have been aggravating you. Amen? That's scriptural. Love those who hate you. Pray for those who despitefully use you and say all manner of evil against you. And forgiveness is a must. Not a suggestion, not an option, it's a must. If you've been holding something against that person that works in your department, you, you're going to have to forgive them if you want the blessings of God. You see, God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven us for everything. And that's exactly what he requires us to do when we receive his forgiveness. We've got to forgive everybody for everything. And, folks, that's not just for their benefit. That's for your benefit as well. Because as long as there's unforgiveness in here, you're harboring an infection in your heart that will eat the life out of you. So forgive them, no matter what they've done. Let me, let me move on. Let me move on. He, he, bled, he bled from his face. Remember a while ago, I said they spat upon him. They also walked by those soldiers and grabbed hands full of his beard and just jerked it from his face until they left nothing but a bloody stubble of a chin. But that blood from his face purchased forgiveness for every single sinful word that we've ever spoken. Aren't you glad that what you've said is forgiven by our Lord? I know when you say it, it's out there and you can't take it back. But I know this, you can plead the blood of Jesus over it. And you can follow it up with things that are positive out of the Word of God. And God can make a change. He also bled from his back. And we're familiar with that. How many of you have seen The Passion of the Christ, that movie? Have you seen that? Most of you have. It really depicts that horrendous beating that Jesus took in Pilate's judgment hall. 39 stripes, ripped his back to shred. Many men, many strong men in that day died under a Roman scourging. Tells you how strong Jesus was as a man 
Don't ever think of Jesus as a little limp-wristed sissy. Jesus was much of a man. I mean, strong man, a man's kind of man. And he took that horrible beating of the cat of nine tails, with the cat of nine tails. And the, the devil thought, as the body of Jesus was becoming weak, he thought he had him. He thought it was over. He's, he's already rejoiced. He's, the devil and the imps of hell were already, already celebrating that they had won the victory. But what they didn't realize is that when they were putting those lashes on his back, Isaiah was screaming out prophetically hundreds of years before. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yes. There's healing in the broken body of Jesus. How many of you have been healed? Praise God. Look at the testimonies in this house today. The only reason I'm here today is because I've been healed by the power of God. Then he bled from his side. You know, they took a spear and thrust into his side. Blood and water came gushing out. Again, the enemy thought he had the victory, but I love that song, and it's based on one of the Psalms. There's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, set up in the house of David for uncleanness. Sinners can plunge beneath that flow and lose their guilty stain. That fountain of blood, that was for our transgression. The Hebrew word trans is translated rebellion. It, it literally means any time we have overstepped the authority of God in our lives. And then he bled seventh and finally from the inside. In other words, he was bruised. Bruised, the reason it, when, when you're bruised, the reason there's that purple color that comes is because there's broken capillaries under the skin. And that's blood that is released and, it, and it, it's under the skin. It's a bruising. He was bruised for our iniquity. Again, the Hebrew word there is perversity. So any, any sin that involves sins of wickedness and immorality, he took care of that as well. Listen, folks, when we come to the table and we receive the, the elements that represent the body and the blood of Jesus, you're literally reminding yourself that Jesus died so that you could be born again, so that you could be forgiven of all your sins, so that God could wash them away and put them in the sea of his forgetfulness. Some of you sitting under the sound of my voice this morning are still dealing with stuff way back in your past. Sometimes we deal with people that are still hurting over things that happened to them 20 years ago or things they did 20 years ago. Let me tell you something this morning. God wants to, God wants to take care of that for you. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't want you to wallow in that stuff of your past. That's not going doing you any good. He made you a new creature in Christ Jesus. Paul said, the things I once loved and now hate, the things I loved, once hate I now love. He said, I'm, I'm just a different person. I'm a new man in Christ Jesus. And don't let the devil hang that stuff on you. You say, well, people remind you. Well, don't listen to what people remind you of. Get your identity out of what God says about you. This is what counts anyway. What does God say? I was talking to a preacher just this week.
And he was telling me about a, uh, they, had, they had this prophet that came to their church, and um, some of his people were skeptical. In fact, one lady came up to him after church, the first service, and he was going to be there for several nights. And she said, sir, if you're a true prophet of God, I want to, I want to give you a test. If you are, I'll believe you. If you're not, I can't, I'm, not going to, I'm just not going to believe this stuff. And he said, well, what's, what's the test? She said, I'm coming back tomorrow night and the next night. And two nights from now, I want you to tell me, if you're a prophet of God, I want you to tell me about my past life. You tell me what kind of sin I was involved in. And uh, she walked off and he took, her, he took her serious. He went home and prayed about it. And he said, Lord, here's the situation. You heard the woman. She wants me to prophesy. She wants me to tell her if I'm a prophet of God. She wants you to reveal to me what she did in the past. And God said, you tell her that that's already, that was forgotten when she was forgiven. There's nothing for you to bring up about her past. Praise the Lord. Amen. There's nothing for... There's nothing to bring up about her past. When you, when you get it under the blood, folks, that's it. When you get it under the blood, it's forgiven. It's washed away. And if God chooses not to remember it, <laughs> you're in good shape. Because ultimately, he's the only one that we're going to have to answer to. We'll answer to him. So you just need to tell the devil that the next time he reminds you of your past. I've actually done this. I've, I've had the enemy try to speak something to me about something that happened in the past that God's forgiven me of. And I've said, I challenge you, devil, you go, you go ask God about that. And if it's, if it's on the record book up there, then, then I'll go repent again. But um, he never takes you up on that. Because he, here's what would happen. If, if the enemy accuses you before God, and he probably will, at some point in your life. But if he accuses you before God, if it's something that you've got under the blood, God can truthfully say to him, that doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. That's why this new covenant is so much better than the old covenant. The blood of lambs covered sin for a period of time, up to a year. The blood of Jesus does not cover your sins the blood of Jesus eradicates your sins. They're gone. They're gone. They're gone. Will you stand with me, please? Praise the Lord. We want to come to the Lord's table today. And we want to receive the elements. And I'm going to ask those that are going to help me if you'll come on and get in place. Pastor Reagan, if you'll join me this table. Brother Buddy Smith, if you'll help us over there. And Brother Wayne Duncan, if you'll help us over here. And uh, Brother George Dawn, if you'll meet me here in just a moment, we'll, uh, you'll serve the platform and the sound booth and those that are unable to come forward. Um, here's what we're going to do. We're going to come to the table. Let me tell you this. At New Hope, our communion is open. That means you don't have to be a member of our fellowship to receive communion if you'd like to. Don't want you to feel obligated. If you don't want to come, that's, that's fine. Nobody's going to, you, you do what you feel like doing. But if you would like to come to the table and receive the elements, you're welcome to come. And uh, we 
I even, I even make this statement, and some people get shocked when I say this, but you don't even have to be saved to receive communion here. If you'll receive it in faith, you'll be saved. Because you can be saved at the Lord's table. I've had people get saved right here at the Lord's table. But, but come reverently, come respectfully to the table of the Lord and let me urge you to come in faith believing. Now, if, you, if you're not exercising faith, it's just, a, it's, it's just a little piece of bread and it's just a little cup of juice that has no strength or power in it by itself. But when you exercise faith and you believe and you're receiving that, remembering what Jesus did for you, while those elements go into your physical body, the power of the Lord, the blood of Jesus can wash in your soul and your spirit and do powerful things for you and even heal your body as well. We've had people healed at the table of the Lord. So come in faith believing today.